newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now you remember Mrs. Sadie Smuggery. She wanted money to buy a new fur coat. The Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis on the media issues of the past week, and we thank you for joining us. I'm Rex Smith, editor-at-large of the Times Union, here this week with Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, and Judy Patrick, and we thank you. Alan, of course, is the uh, CEO of Northeast Public Radio. Judy Patrick is vice president of the New York Press Association, a longtime editor of the Daily Gazette in Schenectady, and Rosemary Armeo, investigative journalist, professor, and actually a former editor as well. So we're all here to try to share some of our thoughts, if not wisdom anyway. Alan, have you found the going a little bit easier these days in the aftermath with no concession from Trump, but in the declaration that we do have a president-elect, do you think that that has changed the tone of news coverage at all and what we've seen lately? I have a machine that measures how I breathe. I really don't. But I have to tell you, I'm breathing a whole hell of a lot better. Now, Trump has said that he would not give up, and he's getting a lot of press for that. And he's doing events in Pennsylvania and other places and saying he is not giving up. I think it's fair to say that Trump tried to pull a coup d'etat. Legal, but he did it. And most people see that now. But he's not giving up. Leading to the question in my mind, is he delusional? Does he really believe this crap? Or is he just doing this because he doesn't want to give up power and he's going to manipulate the facts? I don't know, but I know that the media, all the media, has been interested in what he's doing. And the question is, will they continue to be interested as he loses more and more? That's the question. Rosemary, what do you think? Are the media outlets, TV, newspapers, radio, whatever, are we going to keep focusing on Donald Trump in months ahead? Are you worried about that? I'm not worried about it. I think we ought to be, especially in the month coming up. Rachel Maddow has given a journalism lesson to all the rest of us because she never paid attention to what Trump was saying in those incendiary tweets and ridiculous speeches outside the White House. She always looked at what he did. And in the last two nights now, she's looked at what's been happening in his lame duck administration. And it's more than just those silly legal suits. He has been dismantling programs. He has been putting into place kind of little bombs that are going to explode as soon as Biden gets into office. The latest one is to end a treaty that allowed the United States to do surveillance on enemy countries going across friendly countries. And he's blowing up the planes that did that work so that Biden can't even put it together when he comes back. I think we're going to see a flurry of ridiculous pardons, starting with Michael Flynn. There's a lot going on. He's changing people. He's still firing and moving people around. These are incredibly dangerous, and they need our attention. And when he leaves, he will still be an ex-president, the leader of the Republican Party, the main opposition, and possibly a candidate in 2024. So we're not going to lose our attention on Trump. And Rosemary possibly in jail. 
yeah, legal target. Judy, do you have any concern about this? Rosemary doesn't worry that we're going to be paying. Uh, it sounds like we're not going to be paying enough attention to Trump if we don't really give it our all. Well, right. it's a huge challenge, and I think we really have to pay attention in these remaining weeks of the Trump presidency. But at some point, I think he becomes irrelevant, and he gets too much oxygen from the news media. Once he leaves office, I wish he would, like George Bush did, go to Texas and paint, or like Jimmy Carter did and build houses for the poor. He's not going to do that, but he needs oxygen, and I think he becomes irrelevant. You're starting to see it a little bit now with the focus of the press, and rightfully so, on Biden's administration and his picks going forward, and we're starting to talk about real diplomacy. We're starting to talk about real policies. A lot of that discussion has gone underground with the Trump administration. They're doing things. We're really not sure what they're doing because there's so much bluster or so much craziness at the Trump level, but again, I think we've been paying way too much attention to the Giuliani fiascos. Maybe that's one of the things that, you know, pushed Trump to finally agree to let the transition move forward. But it's going to be a challenge. And I think we need to be very critical of what we do in the media going forward. Here's what concerns me about this, that I, and the reason I ask for your views on this, because it seems to me that while we're going to be losing some of the theatrics, while we will perhaps not be covering all of the tweets of the former president when he becomes that, while we'll have to be covering what the new administration of Joe Biden is doing, there will be still more of a decoupling, as Jim Vanderhei of Politico said, of the media in the United States. There is the reality-based media that we are a part of, but there is going to be an awful lot of Donald Trump-friendly media, perhaps Fox, but certainly Newsmax and the smaller far-right sites that are gaining more audience, that will be focusing on him entirely and will be spending a lot of effort putting forth the notion that this is an illegitimate president, that this election wasn't fair, and that there will be a United States Senate, presumably under the control of Mitch McConnell still, that will be holding hearings on that. That will be vying for attention, and there's going to be an awful lot of media attention that is just going to further polarize the country. How do we avoid falling into that trap? Alan, is this going to be a topic that people are uh, on the roundtable going to be talking about? Isn't that going to be something that's going to be hard to resist? I'm sure we will. I'm sure the people on our morning panel will be discussing what Trump's antics are especially if they are so troublesome that they can cause real trouble, for example, with the electorate. But a lot depends on what is done. Now, Biden has now sent down an edict, apparently, saying, you know, number one, he's not going to fool with his Justice Department. They're going to be free and separate. But number two, he doesn't think the Justice Department should be going after Trump or he would not be conducting an investigation. That's going to put Rex, as you know, a lot onto the folks in New York State. And we can name two of them. One of them, of course, Letitia James, the attorney general of the state. And the other is Cy Vance, who apparently has some criminal matters. According to our producer, David Gustino, there has been a list of things that both of these people have on their agenda where Trump is concerned. So New York is going to be the focus of the whole thing, and the New York press obviously will be. My position is Donald Trump is a lot less interesting when he doesn't have any power. I think he'll be in the media for sure as these criminal prosecutions go forward. Even if there are no criminal prosecutions, there's a ton of civil litigation out there that he's going to be facing. That doesn't mean that Mitch McConnell and the far right aren't going to continue to fuel these new, like Newsmax and OAN. But um, Trump himself, again, I think he's going to be irrelevant.
So, yeah, to get back to the original question, all of these investigations or civil matters or coverage in the press of his wrongdoing, and there's plenty of that, will continue to fuel the idea on the right that Trump has been an unfair target of the stupid liberals. And he will continue to be their champion. We're already seeing this. I'm seeing it looking at Parley and Fox News where he is still a sympathetic figure and the media is to blame for his woes. We're somehow complicit with the Democratic Party. Apparently, we have meetings and agendas to discuss how we go after him. Um, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I think that the Senate is also going to play into this because I'm already seeing signs that he's not going to have an easy time putting his picks, his, I think, wonderful picks so far for the cabinet into play. The ones that need Senate approval, I think, are going to face a really difficult time. And they may, he's already perhaps couching his bets and putting in people who are less controversial than he might have. That's why the press is so important, because, you know, it's one thing when you're keeping a Senate majority together the way that Mitch McConnell has done. It's a whole other thing when you have a lot of people who have business to conduct with the new president of the United States. And I'm suggesting to you, Rosemary, and I don't know the answer to this, that it isn't going to be quite as unified a Republican conference as it has been up until now. And I suspect that the president-elect is going to be able to reach in to that Senate and say to a lot of people, hey, Fair is fair. I should have at least have my cabinet. That's been my observation in the past of what happens when it comes to confirming cabinet members. And I think Biden has been very careful about picking people who are not going to be exposed to too much of a problem when it comes to confirmation. The difficulty of uh, figuring out what the uh, reality-based press can do is uh, is that the more uh, boring the president is, that is, Joe Biden being not as scintillating a figure for many viewers as Donald Trump. He doesn't make headlines. He doesn't make your jaw drop and say, oh, my God. The more boring someone is, the less exciting that coverage is. And therefore, you're drawn. What gets our attention gets us, just as human beings. And the difficulty will be sustaining our focus on what's serious and what's important when there are these sideshows going on, symbols clanging and trumpets sounding off on the side where the former president, Donald Trump, is going to be trying to keep his career going and keep our attention over there, and where he will have his enablers in the uh, Senate and elsewhere supporting him all the way. I think it's going to be a very difficult time in the years ahead, having already lost so much credibility in the eyes of so much of the public. It's going to be very difficult for those of us in the media to sustain the kind of attention, the kind of audience that some of these theatrics have brought. Can I answer that? Because I've actually been thinking about it as I'm teaching news writing coming up. And I think we have to go back to a lesson that at one time we knew and we've forgotten under Trump, and that is get out of Washington. The story of the presidency is not in the White House unless you're Donald Trump and you're a clown and there's always a show there, but it's out into the countryside. And in the next coming years, here's what we're facing. We're facing people starving because there's no money. The economy is in the gutter and there's no money and apparently no relief coming. People are going to be hungry and out of work. That's a big story. Lots of drama. People are getting abortions, self-induced dangerous abortions, because we've cut out abortion across much of the South and the West right now. That's a big story. The opioid crisis never went away. That's a big story with lots of drama. We need to get out of Washington 
and back into the countryside and report on people's lives. Oh, and I didn't even mention coronavirus. People are dying all over the country, too. Surely we don't have to be in the White House. That's great. I think that is terrific, and I'm very encouraged that that's what you're telling your students. And, you know, it doesn't apply to just White House reporters. It applies to all of us who are journalists. That is, get out of the newsroom once we are free to uh, do that, of course, once we actually get beyond the coronavirus restrictions that keep a lot of reporters glued to their chairs. I think that's just terrific advice, Rosemary. You know, Rex, that's what it is. It's advice. You know, um, I have nothing but respect for Rosemary Armea, one of our great stars. Nevertheless, what she's telling us is this is what you ought to be doing. We all agree. We ought to not be concentrating on Trump and Washington. Nevertheless, that doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. Right. So you can say that's terrific advice, Rex. And it is terrific advice. But the question is, will it happen? There's reality here, too. You know, every new president gets a certain honeymoon period with the press. And the question now is, does this honeymoon period last longer? Mm. Because I think the press has been so traumatized by the attacks under the Trump administration. I think the politics of Washington will always be of interest to them. But I am a little concerned that we're reverting back to the old days where, you know, there were a lot of winks and nods and a lot of bureaucracy. And there wasn't as much transparency and there wasn't as much focus on real America, the kind of reporting that Rosemary's doing. But I am worried that there's a little bit too much beatifying, you know, Biden at this point in his picks and not enough scrutiny. There's always the honeymoon, I understand, but let's make sure it doesn't last too long. Mm. Don't you think, Judy, there will be a lot of attention, though, in terms of theatrics? There will be the division of the Democratic Party that uh, we will have. We will be mm, find it difficult to figure out how to cover that as well. Uh, that is the pull of the, the squad and the left side of the Democratic Party that will be a mm. challenge to Joe Biden. Understanding how much to make of that, how big a story that is, is going to be one of the challenges for Washington correspondents. Rex, what are some of those considerations? The considerations, I mean, talking about what is theatrical and what is real. And that requires feet on the street. When Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez criticizes an appointment by Joe Biden, which she is doing, and she is demanding that, for example, there's a demand who's going to be the Secretary of the Interior. How much impact does that really have, and how much coverage, therefore, does it really deserve? Or are we just going to be following the next shiny object, which is the division of the Democratic Party versus the real impact on issues that really affect people that Rosemary is talking about? And given the fact that there are just fewer journalists around to do the work, I think it's a real issue. You're going to be having to prioritize whether you cover that shiny little political battle, which is really fun for political reporters, or whether you cover the real lives of human beings. I think that's what we're Okay, so I've been thinking about this, too. And there is a huge problem doing on-the-street local reporting. We talk about that all the time, that we're losing resources, we're losing bodies. So how do you do on the street? But in addition to that, we have to keep our eye on the great big picture, which is it's more than just progressives fighting against more conservative Democrats. It's What is Joe Biden doing? We're returning to the Obama administration, which is what got us the Trump administration. Why did he put a Latino in as head of Homeland Security? But why did he not even consider eliminating the Homeland Security Department? It's been nothing but trouble under Trump. And yet that was never the big ideas. We need people in the press who are going to put big thoughts out and in a way that engages people so that we have real debate. Right now, we're still in the same fight we were under the Trump years 
this, which is the liberals versus the conservatives. We've got to get beyond that. I think the press plays a big part in that. Here's some advice from Margaret Sullivan, whom we all think quite a bit of, the former Buffalo News editor, of course, who's now media columnist at the Washington Post. She has three things, she says, that the reality-based press ought to do with respect to the, the sort of disinformation ecosystem that's out there. Be bolder and more direct than ever in telling it like it is and avoid pussyfooting yep. or punch-pulling, as she says, first. Second, stand for something that is, as you might say, stand for democracy or stand for change. And third, get more involved in media literacy programs, you know, to try to be sure that there is an audience that recognizes great journalism. Otherwise, great journalism won't survive if it doesn't have the demand for it. So those are efforts that she suggests that we need to be doing. Does that have any appeal for any of you? Well, some of it we've been saying for years, mm -hmm. right, Rex? I mean, you've been saying over and over again, media literacy, and, and I always sort of shake my head and say, yeah, 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 tell your college classes to be more media literate. Nevertheless, she's right about point number one. Straight shooting is so important. Talking of straight shooting, I wanted to go back to something that Rosemary just said, and you know how I respect Rosemary's remarks. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I wanted to go. I wanted to go back and suggest that Trump didn't win, as she just suggested. I think she just suggested because of Obama or the Obama administration. I think Trump won because he was a sort of media celebrity, because he was on the air, because so many people watched him, and so many people thought, well, you know, I'm sick of politics. This guy might be the answer. I think the reason he got slaughtered in this last election is because people really understood just how dangerous he was. And if I can, while I have the microphone, I want to point you all towards The Guardian, a wonderful newspaper, where they were talking about just how close to a coup this country had come under Trump. And that's the kind of journalism that you got to see more of because it's so true. British journalism. I think what you said contains the nut of my thought, which is that Biden, if nothing else, represents going back to normal, going back to the way it was. Nice, solid, corporate, experienced people. And that's exactly what, in 2016, the electorate turned against. And I, I think that is a danger. I, I'm already seeing that in the right-wing media. Oh, we're going back to the old days, which means you end up in a fight for who can get the most people out to vote. And every election. Didn't we have quite a uh. reckoning, or at least we started to have a reckoning in the aftermath of Donald Trump's election, saying we in the media didn't see this coming, we weren't in touch with his voters? I think we, for a generation, were not as clear in our reporting on the grievance that was felt by Donald Trump's supporters, and he took advantage also of decades of manipulation of the electorate that began with Richard Nixon's Southern strategy. There is a significant factor of race involved here that we failed to report, that we failed to notice, and keeping our ear to the ground with that and reporting where we see these instances of race baiting, where we see appeals to the darker side of the American character. I think that is an important part of political reporting going forward that we need to uh, be attuned to so that we're not, again, surprised by the next would-be dictator to come along or who may be the second coming of Donald Trump. I agree with you, Rex. That's you know, all? <laughs> 
in some respects, don't you think that reality-based media, I love how you call that, Rex, has been traumatized by the last four or five years, and they're just slowly healing. And the last few weeks where we saw this effort to essentially overturn an election, to overturn an election, I think that really has scared everyone. And so to come back down to earth, you know, to see that they're going to be dealing with a standard administration, it's going to take a few weeks for everybody to see the columnists start to do the kind of reporting that needs to be done going forward, because it's like the last four years have been something like a fever dream. And now we've woken up and now we've got a lot of problems to address, especially these issues of racism, which I believe have to be addressed at the local level as well as the state and the national level. In individual newsrooms, you mean? We all need to be paying attention to that? Is that what you mean at the local level? Exactly. And it's more than covering Juneteenth or more than covering the scores of the local schools. You need to think about how each newspaper is reaching out to all the communities that they cover and how they're presenting people in their pages or on their website or in their airwaves. It's really rethinking traditional notions about what our communities are, and it's far more complicated than just writing about traditional protests and traditional notions of what coverage of minority communities are. It's just harder. And one of the first things you got to do is have a more diverse newsroom, and we all know how hard that is. When you say you, we all know how hard that is, what do you mean, Judy? I'm sure every news producer, every editor, we want to get our newsrooms to reflect our communities more. But it is hard to hire people of color, people of different backgrounds, because the market, the journalism schools aren't producing those people. They're, they're not available for especially small papers or small organizations. Yes, we are. You're not paying them. Why would you go into journalism now? I agree entirely. We're not paying journalists enough, and it is hard, especially when they're coming out of J schools with $100,000 in debt. How can they survive on a Mm $25,000 or $30,000 a year salary? Yep. That's a great topic, and finding those uh, young journalists of color, people uh, reflecting the many fault lines, generation, gender, geography, race, sexual orientation, all of those diversity factors that we really need to see represented in uh, our uh, journalistic core. That's very hard to do, but you're right, Rosemary, the first step might be to pay journalists more, which is a hard thing to do when news organizations just don't have the resources they used to have. Rex, there's a generational shift going on right now. We're losing some of the great editorial cartoonists and columnists in the country. We're seeing them drop out now. I keep reading resignations every day. And who are the young voices? I may not be attuned to them, but the young voices coming in who were the journalistic equivalent of AOC, do we have them even identified yet? I think that's another big problem that the business is facing. There are terrific young journalists out there who are really available. It's just that they don't have a big enough platform yet. I think there's some terrific people being turned out. Uh, I've actually encountered a lot of them recently, but the difficulty is finding a place where they can actually have their voices heard. Right, exactly. Well, I was just going to say, Rex, I know that you, being a progressive fellow, have tried very hard in your years as an editor to find people of color to work on the paper, and I know it hasn't been that easy. Do you know why? Well, I think Rosemary hit it in part. Journalism doesn't pay as well as it might. Uh, People go where they feel comfortable. And if you're a newsroom that has a low percentage of people from minority backgrounds, you're not going to be able to draw more. It's sort of a chicken and egg thing. Newsrooms have to be clear that they want to reflect uh, the communities they're serving. And that's just part of what will do it. But we have to be aggressive in recruiting at some point to bring in 
people. So as Judy says, newsrooms reflect the communities they're covering. You know, I, I used to take lessons from local police departments who also are trying to be more diverse. And sometimes they would argue that they didn't get the candidates in the front door that they needed. And many progressive police departments, they decided they needed to do more outreach. They needed to work more at encouraging people in high school to consider careers in law enforcement. So you need to go and reach out, not just sit in your office and hope the applications come in the door. That's exactly right. Okay, so we are unfortunately out of time. Those oh. Those topics are worth picking up more in the next show. Absolutely. So sorry we didn't get to everything, folks, that we would like to have talked about, but this has been a thoughtful conversation anyway. All right. Alan Shartok, Judy Patrick, Rosemayor Mayo, and I'm Rex Smith. We are grateful to you for joining us and grateful to our producer, David Gustina, for making this all happen. Thanks, and we hope to see you again next week on The Media Project. Now, newspapermen are such interesting people. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally, the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now, newspapermen are such interesting people. When they know they've got a people's fight to wage, tingling-ling newspaper guild, got a free new world to build. Meet the people, that's a thrill. All together fits the bill. Oh, newspaper men are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the flow. Now, you remember Mrs. Sadie Smuggery. She wanted money to buy a new fur coat. To get insurance, she employed... The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is editor-at-large of the Times Union. Judy Patrick is the Vice President for Editorial Development for the New York Press Association. And Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and former chair of the Department of Journalism at the University at Albany. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at WAMC org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Now newspaper men are such interesting people. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now newspaper men are such interesting people. When they know they've got a people's fight to wage. Tingling-ling newspaper guild. Got a free new world to build. Meet the people, that's a thrill. All together fits the bill. Oh, newspaper men are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the flow. Publishers are such interesting people. Their policy is an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. It's funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now, publishers are such interesting people. 
It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. <laughs>